This is Security Now, Episode 14, for November 16, 2005, VPN. And Steve Gibson and I are here in the dark call for help studio. A quiet studio. We're on a lunch break. Yes, yeah, perfect. Everybody's run away to get their wraps. We're going to talk about... Actually, let's start by talking about uh, issues that came up from our last episode. Yeah, there's been some 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 additional news over on the Sony front. Okay. Um, Sony has um, now backed away officially from, from offering copy-protected DRM-based CDs. All of this rootkit nightmare that they've stumbled into has caused so much trouble that they've said, okay... We're going to remove. We, we're, we, we exactly. We give up. We're going to remove this from our stuff, and apparently even recall existing inventory that's out in the retail channel. But I mean, I, it's been I, a huge problem. I did notice that they said remove temporarily. So I think they're reserving the right to put copy protection in, but just not that copy protection. One of the nicest things I read somewhere, and I, I can't remember now where it was. It was in the last week. Somebody was interviewed and said. Sony needs to understand that while it is their intellectual property, it's their copywritten material, it's not their computer. Right. It's the user's computer. And I'll be honest, from reading the comments from Sony executives, I don't think they get that yet. No. They still believe that they, uh, in, in the pursuit of protecting their intellectual property rights to that music, can modify your system. And I think that that's, they're going to they're gonna try some other way of doing well, that. Well, and that's, of course, the good thing about this as a precedent-setting event is that Hopefully, this is going to this is going to demonstrate to people where the boundaries are yeah. for DRM, what yeah. you can and you cannot do. What's and up? and we there was also a report that this is apparently installed in as many as five hundred thousand machines. One expert said that are yeah. now carrying yeah. Yeah. this technology. And those machines, in all likelihood, are never going to be disinfected. The, the, it's too difficult to do, and it's and their users probably don't even know. I was going to say yes. We're certainly reaching with our podcast. Uh, you know, an upper-end, technically competent, you know, really aware audience. Most people who just stick the audio CD. I mean, I don't play audio CDs in my computer because, right. you know, it just, yeah. it's not something That's I've not ever done. It just sort of seems but, wrong. But what me. I do is I rip them. I do put them in there Absolutely. to copy. To, to move them to your players. Yeah. Yes. And that is, you know, the the key there is n- not to not to play it. You press the shift key not to run the auto run, but I have to point out something. Now I don't, I haven't verified this, and we're going to get a disc, and you're going to verify this. Yep. Somebody said that even if you say no to the EULA, it's already too late. They've already installed oh. the software. They haven't activated it, huh, interesting. but it is on your system already, so it's not running. Uh, the EULA is required before they say, okay, auto run. Right. Uh, the, the the EULA is what puts it into the registry or whatever so that it starts every time you boot the machine. But even before the EULA, the EULA runs as a consequence of having installed this software. <laughs> so now I haven't verified that. But if that's the case, uh, I mean, it's just a mess. It's just yeah. a nasty mess. Okay, so that's uh, that's the Sony rootkit. Let's talk a little bit about WPA because that's what we talked about last week. Right. It, it's, it, it's interesting. I got one comment back from someone who who had a point that I wanted to bring up. And he said, hey, Steve, I took a, 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 I took a, a offense or objection or exception to you saying that WPA was completely uncrackable. He said there are WPA cracking tools that are already out. Yes. And I wrote back because he, he gave me an email address and I said, yeah, you're, you're right, except that those are only useful if people have weak 
WPA passwords. So WPA with a really, really random gibberish passphrase, which is a pain to establish once, but once done, it, I mean, it is truly uncrackable. And I did something um, between the last podcast and now because a couple of people said, hey, you know, how do I get a really good random password? And they provided some links to some existing online password generators. The problem is that those password generators aren't running over SSL and they're not perfectly written. For example, they, they, they don't have an expiration date on the page, which means that an ISP could cache and would cache that page locally so that somebody else might get the same page that you got and would get your passwords. And okay, that's not a big problem, but I thought, okay, GRC should have a password generator. So I wrote one, www.grc.com slash, in your honor, Leo, I made it four letters, P-A-S-S. Easy to remember. Pass. Or, or password, password okay. or passwords. <laughs> and people can put .htm on the end if they want to. It'll ignore it. It doesn't matter. matter. Anyway, what it is, it's very cool. If you just go to you know HTTP, that is not S, just regular, you know, as most people would, they just stick grc.com slash passwords in their browser. It'll see that you're trying to access GRC's password generator over a non-secure connection that anyone could sniff that is, you know, maybe available open, and certainly that proxies can cache. It'll say, oh, no, no, no. It'll automatically redirect your browser to a secure okay. version, set up an SSL connection, then on the fly use extremely good cryptographic random number generation to create three different passphrases. A, a, a hex 64 character passphrase. 63. Actually, 64. It turns out that WPA has two modes that it can operate in, and the Windows WPA client accepts either one. Oh, okay. And that is you can actually give it 64 hex characters is exactly 256 bits. Mm -hmm. So you can actually give it the 256 pass the actual encryption key, mm -hmm. or you can use a 63-character passphrase, which can then, which which can be any kind of alphanumeric mumbo jumbo. So the second version is a 63-character any printable ASCII. I mean backslashes, colons, dots, periods. I mean, it looks like your computer is broken right. when you see this. <laughs> and then, since I wanted to make sort of a general-purpose solution, and I also heard that some hardware might not be compatible, might not be actually on the WPA spec, so that if you put the passphrase into two devices, you would not be able to connect because some hardware wouldn't be handling all the funky characters correctly. Right. Right. So the third version that comes out on my page is only alphanumeric. It's all alpha, you know, A through Z, upper and lower case, and 0 through 9, which will be acceptable by anything and is still sufficiently random that, you know, it's going to be very solid. So there's now a new little service at GRC. It's probably beyond the scope of this, but I'm just curious. We've talked before about random number generators on computers not really being real. They're pseudo-random number generators because yes. it's hard to do real. It can't do real random. How did you? What, what, what are you using for your random algorithms that you know they're cryptographically strong? Um, I have a, a crypto license from RSA security themselves. Um, I own what they call the B-safe 
cryptography library, which is what I use over on my server side uh. stuff. I, I seed it with a whole bunch of stuff, like how many s processor cycles the clock has run since it was powered up, right. and the phase of the moon, and the NIC address. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's just a whole bunch of stuff and some, some other information that only increments and never decrements. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure I will never repeat these. And, and, you know, my page, my passwords page, is a super safe place to get passwords. Right. And a user might not want, you know, even trusting me as much as, as they would, might not want to take them as is. So you could take, like, do it three times. Oh, the other cool thing is just refresh the page. Every time you refresh, a whole new set of, of you know, pseudo-random So do passwords. three of them and take a third from each. Exactly. And... Or or take it and chop it and swap pieces right. around or whatever. As long as it's 63. But it is super, super random. Would you recommend using 63 characters uh, just to make sure it's compatible? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's random. I enough. mean, well, okay. It is so uncrackable at right. sixty-three characters. No one is going to have that in a dictionary, and it would take them forever to like come up with that. And, and we should point out for the people who are going to be semantic purists, un it, it's not uncrackable. It's practically uncrackable. Yes. In, in, in the lifetime of sense. the universe, yeah. <laughs> sometime it could get cracked. And it, and it might happen less than the lifetime of the universe, but by bizarre chance, right? But by, by if you just chose <laughs> random passphrases, you know, one in a gazillion, gazillion possibilities, right? So m mostly uncrackable. Yep. Anyway, it's Theor there if anyone wants to take advantage of it. Not theoretically uncrackable. All right, now let's get to VPN. This is something that's used by businesses all the time. Virtual private networking it allows a telecommuter to log into the business network in a secure fashion. Uh, can it also be used by home users? Well, absolutely. And in fact, that's really sort of our focus for the podcast. Um, this, this follows perfectly on the three segments that we've done so far on on Wi-Fi mm -hmm. and, you know, on, on the, the, the security aspects of wireless networking. Because the idea is, you know, basically we talked about open access points. We talked about weak Wi-Fi security, and then finally we talked about WPA, you know, honest-to-God, serious industrial strength security. So the next thing really to talk about within this context is how can you be secure when you're at Starbucks or you're, you know, using mm. a public access point yeah. where where it's not your network, you're not able to secure it, you have no administrative control over it, you, but you want to use the access point in a secure fashion. More and more access points are offering security of some kind or other, but still, well, a lot of them don't. As a telecommuter, say, like, here, here I am staying overnight in a hotel in Toronto. Right. I want to be able to plug my computer, even not Wi-Fi. I want to plug my laptop into the hotel network. You don't know what's happening there. I have no idea what's going on. And, in fact, it was interesting. Um, the a column in InfoWorld two weeks ago, Roger Grimes what was quoting a gal who was a security person who travels around a lot. She said half of the hotels, I mean, she's like on the road all the time, a real road warrior. Half of the hotels that she's in are using hubs and not switches. <laughs> Meaning she are all on the same network. Yes. Well, they're not only on the same <laughs> network, but they're a shared. They're a shared segment. So if she turns on Ethereal to to to, to do packet anything. capture, and she does, she says in a typical evening stay 
and, and th- there there's a a password capturer called Kane. Yes. She uses Kane, and she, and and Kane is smart about various protocols. It knows what it's seeing in packets that go by. She typically sees more than a hundred. The number that was quoted in the article is a hundred and eighteen in the clear passwords for people staying in the hotel. I mean, yeah. she literally captured their information. Well, I know that's the case because I'm staying in a hotel now that offers free Wi-Fi, and when I open my iTunes, I can see other people's iTunes libraries. So we're on the same segment. Right? You're on, well, you're Wi-Fi, so you're inherently, you're, <laughs> you're in the same atmosphere. You, you know, you're on the same planet as, as there, other there people. Is a little, they must be doing some firewalling or blocking of some protocols because I can't actually see their music but i can see their their shared library well so so you know you so and how I, do i protect myself you and i've talked about using and needing a personal firewall i mean i i i'm I, on I my laptop i've got xp yeah. and i've got service pack I 2 so firewall. i've got its firewall on yeah. so i know i'm i'm okay as far as that goes but you know i am not going to do anything where i need privacy which is you know, even well, my data is in the clear. Email. Well, and that's the problem. As yes. soon as I log on to email, my email password and login is visible. Yes. Now I use SSL for my email, so fortunately, I think I'm all right there. Yes, you are, in fact, because yeah. because SSL creates, and that's a perfect segue into this. SSL creates a secure connection, which is actually not a tunnel. A tunnel is a different thing, but it it it's, creates a, a secure transport for. Everything that happens afterwards, and that security is negotiated before any user data passes through the connection. Even my password? Yes. Okay. So yes. as soon as I'm in that SSL mode, yes. every, on that port, everything is encrypted. The original, the, the, the original negotiation, first a TCP connection is established. So the SYN packets go back and forth, create the TCP connection. Then a security um channel is established within that connection and then i and then password. you actually have a a user data an application oh. level channel between the okay. endpoints so that's pretty safe uh, when i do ftp and i upload to my website which i do in fact from the hotel fairly frequently uh if i'm using plain old ftp yep ports they, 21 and 22 and that gives them an access to my website well and anyone could have the file right. that you were transferring well, and also what happens is a lot of times people use the same password for their ftp to upload to the website as their administrator login yeah. or their ssh login right so that really opens you up to somebody hacking your website um so that's why you secure ftp when i transfer right yeah okay so but i'm still open everything else going so to I the do? next yes going to the next level um is this thing called a VPN. Now, the reason it's available to end users, there are there are a couple ways it's available. And this week, I want to talk about sort of the theory and the technology of a VPN okay. and not get into all the detailed specifics. We're going to do that next week mm-hmm. because it's a big topic. I don't want to try to cram too much in and, and, and miss stuff. So, so the, the theory of a VPN, a virtual private network, the key concept is is what's called a tunnel. With a tunnel... You you establish a connection between endpoints, and the the we've talked about how packets are are used to move data over the internet. One of our future podcasts, we're actually going to talk about how the internet works and get into that in more detail. But for now, it's it's, it's sufficient to know that the data travels in packets. The packets have a like, like a an address information on the front the so-called header of the packet where it's the source ip the destination ip the source port the destination port and some other stuff mm-hmm. that is normally visible to anyone who's who's sniffing the traffic and 
it it's it's gives the IP of your machine where it originated and the IP of where it's heading. And also from looking in the packet, packet in normal internet packets are not encrypted in any way. They're just so-called plain text, as, as the crypto term is. So anybody, again, sniffing the traffic can see what it is that's going on and, uh, and understand uh, uh, what the traffic is. Now, what the VPN does, which is unique and special, is it essentially encapsulates the packet. Every packet coming from your computer is, is, is encapsulated. It's wrapped in another packet where your entire packet is the payload, the data of, of this VPN packet. So the IP addresses, like where your data is going to, ends up being the in the data of this this so-called VPN tunnel packet. So even that's not visible. Even exactly. Well, how does addressing happen then? Well, what happens is you always establish a VPN, this so-called VPN tunnel between your between two points which are both aware of the, of this VPNing. Normally, so you have a client and a server well, actually, you have peers. They're peers. Yeah, okay. it, it's a VPN peering. So, for example, you could take two VPN routers and peer them together, right. and they would create a tunnel. Or, most often, telecommuters would would have, have a, a, a VPN client in their system, and they'd be dialing into, like, a VPN pool in, in their corporate environment. Or, and this is what we're going to talk about in detail next week, their own VPN router at home. Mm -hmm. Because you can now get consumer VPN routers, which would allow you to dial into your home, to, to, to essentially use the Internet to get you to your home router over a secured channel. Then you have access not only to any machines you have at home, but to the Internet just as you would at home, out from that router. So once that tunnel is established, it's hardened. Nothing inside can be seen, including the uh, addresses on the packet. Well, that's the key, is that, so first we have this notion of wrapping a packet in a, like a super packet, in, in, this, in this encapsulation packet. There's also seriously strong industrial strength encryption going on. So, and the, the encryption technology is something our more techie listeners may have heard of called IPsec. IPsec is is an IP standard for for endpoint to endpoint security that establishes extremely strong, you know, virtually uncrackable mm. encryption. So so every single packet is scrambled when it's put into this VPN packet. Now a, an interesting little tidbit is that Microsoft Service Pack, I think it was the first Service Pack two broke VPN. Because what happens when you wrap a packet is it gets bigger. And there are limits to the size that packets can be as they travel over the Internet. So what, what, should ha what has to happen is that your packets, your, your source packets, before being wrapped, need to be made smaller so that after the VPN wrapper is added, they'll still be within that 1,500 bytes. Microsoft forgot that and ended up breaking VPN, which was a good lesson to all the people in corporate America who are not installing service packs and major patches without really testing them first to make sure that they don't break critical things. And it was, you know, Microsoft quickly scrambled to fix it, but it they did break it with that security update. Interesting. So, so essentially, 
It's fixed since. But oh, it, it was yeah. immediately fixed. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oops, we're sorry. <laughs> we'll, 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 we won't do that again. Yeah. When, when corporate America howls, Microsoft probably jumps a little faster oh, than you and I howl. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we know how, jump they, <laughs> how fast they jump when I howl. <laughs> not at all. Uh, no, it? not at all. <laughs> so, so anyway, the idea is that this, this VPN tunneling establishes a, a secure channel now, somebody sniffing the traffic is just out of luck. They're, they could know by looking at the IP address or port number that it's a VPN channel because VPN channels tend to use specific ports. But they won't even know where you're going. They can't be, see any addressing. Because your entire packet is encrypted. And even your headers are encrypted. Mm. So they see nothing. They will see the endpoint of the tunnel, wherever that is. But but not know anything about what you're doing because what happens is at the receiving end the the outer wrapper is removed from this packet then the whatever it is inside this just looks like static it looks like noise it's decrypted back into your original packet mm -hmm. and then it's dropped onto the network so it's what this does is for example if you were using a VPN router as your normal home router you could from being remotely located somewhere, you could connect to it through any any open environment in, in the hotel environment um, that we were talking about before, or Wi-Fi. Right. The only issue sometimes with VPN is that those ports may not be open. Ah, yes, and that's where we're going to talk about problems with VPN yeah. and things that can go wrong. Yeah. Sort of the you know here we're talking about the theory. We're going to talk about about the, about the practice of VPN and things that people need to wear, be aware of. And if you thought that WPA was acronym stew with RC4 and TKIP and you know uh, AES and enterprise blah 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 I mean this VPN stuff is, is when you look at one of these VPN clients that you have to like add the numbers to and configure you just glaze over because yeah. there's IKE internet cre uh, um, key exchange there's uh, the IPsec and and you know three D three D E S and A E S and so forth. But there are ways that you can configure all of this for maximum compatibility, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. Okay. Is how basically now we we know everyone knows they want VPN because I mean it really is cool. It allows you with total confidence to use your computer anywhere. I mean even even you go to a friend's house, use their Wi-Fi and VPN back to your home. Then you get out on the internet from there, and you have access to any machines th that you have at home. It's it's a real win. It sounds like something everybody should be doing. It's a it's a great solution. Yeah. And there are services out there that you can do this through as well. Yeah. Right. That's the alternative. Um, in our earlier show, we had some show notes. Um, you mentioned a couple of with services. Three of yeah. those, yeah. and uh, Google v had a VPN service for a while, which I guess they then shut down. Well. Because Google was, at least in San Francisco, offering Wi-Fi, and they plan to, I think, roll this out nationwide, they do have a secure Wi-Fi. And for a while, people had figured out how to hack it and uh. use it going through the Google servers, the Google VPN servers, even on your own access point. I don't know if that hole is still there. It sounds like it's not. Um, but there are ways you can do this, as you said, for yourself. You can. There's services you can use. Well, and... and, and, and 
if between now and next week's podcast, people like have to do something immediately, anonymizer.com. They have a service where they will anonymize just a few things, like web surfing, where you use them as a proxy to like filter and anonymize your web searching. They also have exactly what we're talking about, is a, a, a secure tunnel. And the other cool thing they about this... SSL, which is a little... Uh, more transparent. You don't have to worry about ports because SSL ports are almost always open. Correct. Right. Um, and and but but the other th- cool thing I want to make sure I don't forget about about tunneling is nothing nothing knows what traffic you're sending through a VPN tunnel. It's literally it is impossible for anything to know. So people, for example, have problems if they're if they're telecommuting because. Like port 25 for SMTP for email might be blocked by the hotel right. who who does, doesn't want spam being sent. The beauty is through a VPN tunnel. If you if you can establish the tunnel, once that's done, you could do anything. Nobody can block any specific behavior you have because it's they can't see it's it. just static. It's noise. Yeah, yeah. It's completely transparent. So part two of VPN next week on implementation, how you can do it. Can we throw in a little bit of stuff on SSH tunneling as well? Oh, yes. Another way yes, to do for it. sure. And SSL. Yes. Um, and I want to say that we, we've been getting so many questions that we're going to start a, 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 a practice of doing some Q&A podcasts. Um, Maybe in, once in, a month we'll just go through questions and well, responses. Well, being the mathematician, uh, I'm thinking any podcast that's divisible <laughs> by four. Okay. So here we are on this number 14. 14. We'll do VPNs next week. And so 16 will be okay. our first Q&A podcast. <laughs> so every, every, okay, every, mod four. Security now mod four. Security now mod four. <laughs> and so people who are submitting things yeah. on the securitynow.htm page at GRC, um, believe it or not, I read all of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a job reading everyone's submissions because we get a ton of stuff a lot of but it's stuff. great feedback for me because yeah. i know what stuff i we, you know we 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 missed what we need to cover and so we'll, so every fourth episode you know again if something critical happens like did happen with the sony drm stuff we'll we'll hold off you know and and cover that and jigger our schedule around but right. you know you know i like the mod four we're gonna have to stick to the i mod like that four. it's good it's easy to remember yep <laughs> it's like leap year but Perfect. let's not get like leap uh, year because then there's always those exceptions every 400 years yeah, there's not the, one yeah, on the yes. century mark and all that stuff if you want to know more of course steve puts up great show notes at grc.com slash security uh not only show notes but there's also a lo-fi 16 kilobit version for people who don't have the bandwidth or the storage. Also, transcripts in a variety of formats. So, in fact, the transcripts have tr- proven very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to give credit to the woman who does those for you? Do you remember her name? Uh, her first name is Elaine. Thank you, Elaine. Uh, she's spectacular. That's really I mean, a nice she thing is to do. just just super. All right. Well, well, we really appreciate it. It makes it much more accessible for people who can't listen to the podcast or and want to share it. She's going to have to be transcribing what I just said, flattering her. <laughs> She'll be smiling. Elaine, you deserve all the praise I can give you. You're fantastic. <laughs> and of course, thanks to the folks at uh, the AOL Radio, the podcast channel there, who not only broadcast Security Now on their podcast channel, but also provide us with the bandwidth. AOLmusic.com is the URL for that. We'll be back next week talking about VPN implementation, unless something awful happens again. Uh, but that's that's what we're here for. Security yep. Now. Steve Gibson, thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. Safe trip home. Thank you.